Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, this is going to be good because we spent a couple of months trying to get this together and finally got him here. Tanner Aliff is joining us. He does healthcare research for Cicero Institute. He's going to tell us more about that in a little bit. Tanner, how are you? Great to finally have you on the program, my friend. It's doing great, doing great. We just came off of Texas Freeze, so out of power for about four days. So that was fun, but now I'm happy in the clam, getting ready to work in session. Yeah. See, a true story. I'm a mountain kid, so I've you know January you didn't go to school. We just had snow. I grew up in the mountains. Uh, my first duty station in the military was Little Rock, and the first weekend I was there, they had an ice storm. I'd never been to it through a southern ice storm before, so I showed up to work, and everybody looks at me like, "Who are you?" I'm like, "I'm the new guy." They're like, "How did you get here?" I was like, "I drove," and they're like, "We're in shelter in place for the ice storm." I'm like for this but yeah people down south don't like ice storms that's a fact glad everything's good down there let's talk a little health care this is this is what you do we were talking about it before but i want you to explain to me like i'm five because i have trouble with this stuff mm-hmm. we've turned health care costs from a really serious problem and a serious policy issue and a government issue into a buzzword that means absolutely nothing Healthcare costs is a really big deal Healthcare costs, the term doesn't mean anything. Let's break that down a little bit because what the real problems here are, we don't understand what we're dealing with unless you, well, are you talking about insurance costs? Are you talking about what the hospital needs to cover their expenses? Are you talking about what the doctors charge the hospital in those agreements? Are you talking about what the state regulators say you can and cannot do? There is so much in that one term. And until you undo that ball of wax, all the rest of this, you're really just kind of chasing shadows, aren't you? No, pretty much. It's kind of sad. I talked to a few uh, hospital executives before on my talking like CFO level individuals. And, uh, you know, when I go to ask them like, so like, what's like just brass tacks, like how much does it take to actually perform like an ACL reconstruction if you're playing pick up basketball and you tear it, you know, and they just truly don't have any gauge or depth half the time or really any reference. Like very few hospitals are actually really good at accounting. And so when we talk about costs, it's not like, you know, when we're like talking about groceries or mechanics or ordering parts, right? We're able to factor in like the raw materials, the manufacturing, the distribution, everything and gets you like a whole number. Healthcare, that's not the case whatsoever, right? And then like the fact when you, when you factor in like the fact that we are like patients, right? The primary consumers of healthcare aren't paying for like the actual goods and services are not the primary payers of those goods and services. You don't, you're like also factoring those third parties and we have no really reference anymore when we're talking about costs. Like it's uh, it's pretty much the point where if you ever heard the term like a charge master list, right? That's like made a price and there's a difference between cost and price. But to me at this point, uh, unlike other industries, cost is just as ambiguous as price now. And like, cause usually with price you def- make a difference because you get to like dictate what it is, what your product, what your service is going to cost your patrons. but. There's just uh, the calculation. You'd, you'd be horrified if you sat down and talked to some folks. Yeah. Here's the part of this that folks here. The business end of this is really hard for folks to get a hold of. They see things like if you live rurally, you see rural hospitals shutting down or consolidating or going to a lot of them are going to a regional 
system where you'll have a hub, you know, almost a hub and spoke system of healthcare, which we can debate how healthy that is, but that's the business model right now. If you're in an urban environment, it's the same way. You know, the big hospitals are getting bigger and the small ones are kind of disappearing. Clinics are changing. Urgent cares are coming up different ways. That's the practical side that people can get their hands on. But that's a reflection of all those things you just talked about, right? The business side of this is driving the patient care side of this. That's just what people see. What should they be looking at? Is it the rise of urgent care? Is it not just the bills that they get and they understand that, just the practical access to care? Because they can see that. They can see the hospitals changing. They can see the urgent care is getting built, right? Uh, whenever it comes to like trying to give advice for people to kind of wade into American healthcare. I think it's a hard it's a hard sell right now to try to get people to think about the actual care they're consuming as terms of quality, right? Like, what what's the difference between two MRIs? What's the difference between one uh, the urgent care doing stitches and the hospital doing stitches? Probably not much, but people sometimes get really hesitant because I think we've been alienated for so long from having a reference on quality or cost or the business of healthcare in America, and so I think a lot of folks are just really squeamish, but trying to get back to your kind of like question here, like what would I recommend people to kind of parse out? Realize that like payment here, like it doesn't always equal access, right? Cause we have that physical problem, right? We have, so we have shortages out there with the primary care stuff in the rural settings. We have specialty care in some metropolitan areas. It's uh, it, it looks different. That to me, like we have the physical access problems, but we also have another financial access problem, right? And if people want, to be able to better navigate the American healthcare system would really recommend like trying to understand, like I'm talking again, it's so bad. Like people have been so alienated uh, just having someone else pick uh, their health insurance for them. But I think, I think it was like, I saw a crazy poll that less than uh, 4% of Americans know what a premium is, a deductible is, coinsurance and out-of-pocket maximum, like the four basic health insurance nouns. And uh, because of that, I just think that, uh, when we like when when people don't know how to use networks, people don't know how to see if one like health like hospital systems connected to their health insurance that they're going to get covered. They don't know who's out of network. They don't even know all the different like low cost options out there because they're always getting phoned to where their insurance company tells them to go through the coverage, right? And so I think what like no matter how you kind of approach the like the air quote healthcare market, you're going to be kind of confused as a patient, really. Yeah, Tanner Aleph joining us. All right, your undergrad was in cognitive neuroscience. So explain the cognitive dissidence here. We have this <laughs> whole issue of medical care is essential to keep you from dying. It's a life or death issue. It really is. It's not hyperbole to say it's a life or death issue. So, of course, people go, well, it's life and death. It should be free. Well, there's no such thing as free. It's got to be paid for by somebody. And people that do that really well want to be paid for the services of it. This is the disconnect, right? They, just on the basic human level, it's like, OK, this is all life and death stuff, but it's also big business. Plus, you have government regulation because you got to because it's life and death. Boy, this is just a big circle to square. And that's really at the heart of all these issues. Just trying to get our minds around that one little bit of it. No, I definitely say that uh, healthcare demand is definitely not elastic. There will always be a presence for it. Like, I mean, it's just as insatiable as your need for water. Right. At one point in your life, you're probably going to need to consume healthcare services. But the one thing that I get a little frustrated about is when I actually talk to people about like, why do you have like health insurance per se, right? I always hear like this over kind of buying of coverage. Like, I think I've talked about like 28 just anecdotally friends and they're like, oh yeah, I'm paying around like $4,000, $6,000 healthcare premiums. I'm like, how, 
how many times did you go to the doctor last year? They're like, twice. I'm like, for what? Physicals? I'm like, okay. Um, you know, like, is that $6,000 actually worth the visit? And I don't think a lot of people try to understand that since you're not the primary payer of your own healthcare, right? You are deferring for someone else to make deals for you. And that those entities, like the insurance company is supposed to making deals for you and being the actual customer of healthcare is not trying to lower costs for you. And I don't think that we've had a great conversation with Americans in our own, like in our own, like closed doors, like what's my real concern or risk? And depending on when I come to that answer, who do I partner up with to get the best like deals and health outcomes, right? If you got a chronic issue and you um, get, consume a lot of healthcare, if you have some other like acute accident stuff, or you know that you might be at risk of it, you have a really hectic job, it makes a lot of sense to have some of a higher premium dollar coverage from like a PPO plan that can just cover you traditionally with a wide network. But um, when it comes to, if you're just like, you know, I'm pretty healthy. I exercise in my broccoli and I only go to the doctor twice a year. I'm like, maybe you should go on HSA. Maybe you don't need to lose all your dollars in premiums. and can take your uh, Timmy to get braces and your wife out to Fiji, right? Like, um, I, I just like, like I, th I think like a good thing here that we could really just tell people is like, ask yourself like, where am I at realistically for my health? What can I control? What can I improve? When then admit to yourself, where can I not control? Where can I not improve? And when for those areas that you can't control, like look at the different forms of health insurance out there, the alternatives, like the, there's like crowdsourcing now, there's direct primary care. But if you need something that's like an actual hospital system or an ASC, like just make sure that's actually in your network, right? And like, just kind of do a little bit of due diligence. And I think you'd see kind of people being able to dodge some of those crazy astronomical medical bills we hear about for simple stuff. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, Tanner Ayla joining us. This is more of the same problem, though. Those are all, everything you just said was great. That's for the folks that have options. There's always this cohort of folks that are not going to have options either because of their situation or poverty or whatever. They don't have options. Mm -hmm. Somehow, people buzzword this into healthcare being one size fits all. Healthcare is never going to be one size fits all because you're going to have haves and have nots. You got people that can pay, people that can't pay. And then you got this big middle of folks that can pay a certain amount, but not too much. So how much care do they get? 
that's another core thing that we don't talk about enough. Like you were saying, our conversations like, look, somewhere in here, we have to be able to take care of everybody, but everybody has different needs and different abilities. How do we square that circle? That's a good question. I've been really thinking about this because like, I think uh, you probably been following the news, right? Like Medicaid, the government health insurance that's partnered with your states run by your state. Uh, that usually covers pe- like low-income individuals, typically the group that would struggle financially to be able to access care or get care. Um, we've seen enrollment just skyrocket after the pandemic, and we saw like the turbulence with unemployment. But uh, we can offload people and try to bolster those programs up. I think a lot of legislators are talking about that. I, I heard a joke not too long ago that some folks here in Texas were trying to look at Medicaid to cover nutritional plans and get if people eat broccoli. And uh, just like stuff like that, even though we have SNAP and other benefits, when it comes to trying to construct something that might be able to help, one thing I've been really visiting, particularly like to address all those people that maybe not have the means or they're in a really like kind of like no access point, is we can talk about like uh, tra- like uh, transportation and getting some like mobile wheels out there and getting the brain like the care to the people. But you know that's a different problem. I think we can focus on the money here a little bit. And just uh, talk about, for example, that most hospitals in America are actually nonprofits, right? Like disproportionately, like it's like a little like sh- sh- north of like sixty-seven percent. Meaning that all of them to be nonprofits have to produce a financial assistance policy, and in those financial assistance policies, they usually set pretty high, like around like somewhere like above Medicaid expansion rate or like one hundred thirty-eight plus or one hundred fifty percent the federal poverty rate, which means a lot of Americans through the hospitals that insurance should be getting financial assistance where I'm talking like completely free uncompensated care, or they get a heavy discount that actually makes healthcare somewhat in the ballpark of doable, even for people less than $2,000 in savings. So like, I, I like the, the problem that we like, we haven't seen the uptake of this, right. From those, from those hospitals, even though you hear about all like, you know, Providence health donates this or does this is that uh, I think it's like the evidence only come out recently about like last three years that most of these uh, groups, uh, when you look at their tax exemptions, that's why they've become nonprofits, right? Um, I think they give out less than, I think the average is one in three hospitals gives out less than 1.4% of their operating revenue or expenses, meaning that uh, for the layman, hospitals are getting multi-million dollar tax breaks because they're expected to use those savings to take care of like folks that have trouble accessing care and they're not doing it, right? And, and again, like this is like this isn't like your local rural nonprofit hospital, critical access hospital. We're talking the upper quartile people, which should be able to like have their tendrils because they have such a huge system out there, providing tons of free care that could aid some of the government programs out there, but they're not holding up their their side of it. And I think that's like a complete loss. And like those folks that you're talking about in those unique circumstances, not getting access aren't reaching them. Yeah, Tanner Aleph joining us. This is part of something that's kind of new to the healthcare debate. A lot of this stuff is things that people have been debating since the dawn of time. You know, how does healthy people take care of the unhealthy people? That's that's the long and the short of it, right? That's ever since there's been more than three or four people, there's been that conversation. There is part of this that's new now. We have new things through both technology and just changing society and culture. We have things like charity care. We have things like crowdfunding. We have things like telehealth. There is new parts to this healthcare debate. Are we doing a good job of pushing the ball forward, of talking about the new things that could act like stuff like telehealth? No, it doesn't solve every problem, but it solves some problems. Things like crowdfunding. No, that's not scalable to everybody. But yes, you got to figure that in, because when you just look at the dollar amounts, it's pretty substantial. 
the charity stuff you just said about the hospitals, the percentages, those sorts of things. It seems like we spend a lot of time in the roads talking about the same old debates without pushing the ball forward and like, okay, how do we start implementing some of this new stuff into the old arguments so that we actually get, even if it's an incremental progress, at least we're inching forward. I think we're missing the mark a lot. Um, I think that uh, when it comes to our established parties, Democrat, Republican, we're still kind of bent up on this whole idea of like trying to develop like a single pancea, that one magic bullet, the the holy grail play, right? That's going to be some new type of system that's going to fix the flaws with the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Republicans have very different visions. Uh, Democrats and other liberal and progressive minds really want single payer, which is a completely different vision, right? And I, I, to me, it's like, uh, I don't think people realize sometimes how powerful the insurance and hospital lobbies are at the federal level. And even though like people, I mean, the single, single payer might seem really catchy as a term, but I don't know if it has the legs. I also don't think it's okay, you know, because I think uh, back when the Affordable Care Act was established and Republicans took some, took a good amount of flack for uh, just saying, oh yeah, insurance companies should allow should uh, should be allowed not to take up that person with cancer. And I think everyone disagreed with that and they lost on that issue very much, very much so. But what I'm trying to get to right now is saying that there are these things that are able to make the current status quo better, like living in an Obamacare era world where we can employ telehealth and crowdfunding and we can use price transparency and we can use charity care. The thing that's happening though is that we just went through like the last 30 or 40 years of people being alienated on the consumption of healthcare, understanding a cost of healthcare, knowing how to pay for healthcare, right? And we're expecting all these consumer, all these patients, all these people with real problems and like really high demand just to get thrown into markets to get like overload and fire, like fire hose with a bunch of like information and plan deductible types of stuff trying to navigate like uh, a hospital's mental health system like you just we like gave no one any legs here and even though there's technically information's increasing and new tech and new abilities and new infrastructure is being built to help people get to a lower price and get at the quality they need it's still not there's no incentive for us to be present right there's no incentive for me to actually try to spend the extra two hours to look over my like my employer's health insurance plan or to really be like do i need medicaid or to try to like look at a few different doctors in my area to see who can give me my best surgery right with for, for a particular issue we don't have a time for that and it's i think that people see as such a burden is because it's new and i think that there's policy out there that's why i'm working at the cicero institute that is trying to create those incentives for the first time joining us let's be real about this stuff though a lot of this is going to go through congress and the government either regulatory wise or a bill wise or policy wise you you've been in that position you've done some congressional work for folks before just briefly take folks behind the scenes though because we talk about this you know you're you're at cicero so you talk about it that way i talk about it in kind of a populist way on you know media things 
when it gets to the nitty gritty of actually making legislation, this is really a heavy ball going up a very steep hill because this is all got to get in black and white. It's not just buzzwords. You've been behind that curtain, though. Just explain to folks how big a lift that is and the challenge that is involved there. Yeah. So I've worked on Capitol Hill for it was about a little over just like just shy of two years. And I remember when I first showed up, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. We're going to get so much stuff done. It's going to be a big boon in my career. I'm so happy. I'm so cool. wearing my little suits in my little office here in Rayburn. Um, got to tell you, you got maybe like two months in and realized that, uh, yeah, there's never a moment where your member or your boss just comes up to you and they're like, hey, Tanner, like, what's your new idea to fix like the entire American healthcare system, right? That, that the people like I love constituents too, man. Because I used like uh, when I was when I first started out before I kind of got layer up the food chain there, was taking those calls. And I just broke my heart because so many people would call in the office and they would just try to pitch these ideas as if like lobbyists don't exist, as if like think tanks like me and other groups aren't trying to pitch all these uh overwhelmed like uh like Congress folks staff with ideas, right? And it's just never an idea is true. It's not typical. I wouldn't say never, right? It's not good to have an absolute. There's never, it's, it's unusual to see a member of Congress just produce a completely innovative idea of their own accord. They're usually getting outside help. And the thing is, when it comes to looking for the outside help, right? They have campaigns, especially if you're in the house, you're beholden to <laughs> a constituency, but you're more beholden to the election, like the electoral process, right? And a lot of the advertisement in your success is like is is dependent on your endorsement of the private sector, of certain key figures of the community, right? And say you got a hospital, say you got insurance companies in your district, and you try you get elected the first round, then you try to create all these like new regulations, transparency clauses. Uh, you want to create price ceilings on them. Like that stuff's not going to stick is because the hospital like lobby is going to walk into that congressperson's office and be like, hey, heard you want to cap knee replacements for the elderly. Uh, and then the, the congressperson would be like, yeah, I do want to do that. And the lobbyists would probably be like, nah, well, I hate to get, see you get primaried, <laughs> you know, like to see you get challenged and like exed out. People, I just don't think understand like the power or like the, the scope, right? I think it was like, hospitals alone like some hospital associations were forking out like over they were the third most highest paying lobbying group of like 1.4 billion dollars at the at the federal level alone right that's not including the states so i just like want to point the illusion that like just saying that you have a solution to healthcare, or we we know that some people are doing bad things and trying to slap down on those people it's probably not going to go through because like the people in healthcare are giving out the most dollars to members of congress and a member of Congress is not going to burn that political capital unless they absolutely have to, or it's existential because their constituency is completely like kind of reordered against them. But for a lot of this too, is like hospitals, man, like they have great reputation. They look, people love them in the community. They're sometimes the biggest employers. They do a lot of great stuff. They do little side stuffs. They, you know, they bring in like the birthday equipment for child cancer. Like they have like that image, that rhetoric of looking like a really good group, even though they're, like a good, like the upper quartile revenue generating hospitals are just completely robbing America for the most part. Like, I wish I could like spell it out that there's a solution for that. And I would say that I've seen more success at the state level. 
right? Because the nice thing about the federal level is even though that my boss never came up to me and asked me for a novel idea, he did ask, what did Texas do? What did Virginia do? What did Tennessee do? A lot of times members of Congress, Senate or House will look to the states to like, because like the states are the true policy laboratories of America and they're able to just try things out. They have smaller jurisdictions, so smaller sample populations, right? They, they're able to create policy that addresses their unique needs. And I think that a lot of times like uh, the, the federal folks want to see the precedent. And if it works well, they'll take that idea and they'll try to work with it. But I sometimes just going for Congress straight gut, like just like go for right for the throat or the artery, not going to really work here. I really think that healthcare should be more of a federalistic or state by state basis where we can get consensus or at least, you know, there could be little custom tailor ads to certain reforms, for example, like the patient's right to save reform working at CISRO. But as long as like 10 states, 15 states pass it and it becomes like a force that's working, it can show that's doing good and the market's affecting, that's when we can have a greater conversation about like, kind of teeing up to send to a member of Congress to take seriously and look past the lobbying and being able to get behind something where they won't lose political capital. <laughs> yeah. Tanner, Ailf, join us. You touched on something important. I don't want to skirt by though. When we're talking about these hospital systems though, we need to understand there's different kinds of hospital systems Yes, because certain States, if the main hospital system is based off your public university, you know, which a lot of those are, they're, they're the teaching hospital and that's their, you know, my home state, WVU medicine. They've started taking over a lot of the regional smaller hospitals. Those people take calls from state officials. Trust me, they will because they have to. So you actually, even though it's a big conglomerate because it's a state entity and a state school, that big hospital system. Yeah. They will listen to the state government and they say, so it sounds almost backwards that you might have a little more control that way, but you really would. Now there's corporate ways, there's privatized systems, of course, but that's a good lesson for folks to understand. It's like the hospital systems are not monolith. You need to understand which ones you're dealing with because that'll also tell you how to access and approach them if you want to try to get something changed. Yeah, no, hospital, complete umbrella word. There is nuances to all of that. University teaching, critical access, children's, uh, for-profit versus private equity owned. Like, it's it just there, there's like this is such a manifold different lying of them and i think that you, i think you're right is that uh andrew is that like each one one of them carries a different amount of influence and there's a different lever to work with them on the state or federal level but yeah i don't know like i want to be i want to be bullish like you and i want to say that like you know because we had like you know we're here in austin texas right and we have ut it's not like many members of the Texas legislature can just go up to UT, go up to UT and be like, you're going to be honest to charity care now. Like, you know, that, and that's going to fly. <laughs> so sometimes it really depends on your locality, but you're right. I think people should try it out. should talk with their members. They can try to see like, what is like the actual hiccup for some of these pricing things or charity care or costs, right? Like, <laughs> or see if their member can even tell them what cost is, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's a little pie in the sky, but, you, you know, a state, some kind of state official is going to get a quicker phone call with a public university system than, you know, some rando from Bakersfield is going to get Kaiser Permanente on the phone. So, you know, no, I agree with that. Definitely. You know, it's all matters. Find out what your healthcare system's at. You know, you should follow it like your politics. Find out where the money goes. Find out who's in charge. Know what you're dealing with, folks. That's the important thing here. Tanner Aleph, we're going to keep having you on and some other folks from Cicero because this is one of those topics that we're always going to have to talk about, right? Because we're all going to need health care at some point and we're all going to pay for everybody else's health care 
all the rest of the time, right? So we'll keep talking about this. Let folks know where they can follow you, what you got going on, a little bit about Cicero, and where they can keep up with you until we get you back on Hertel again, my friend. Yeah, of course. So you can follow me. I always all my material gets published on the Cicero website. So that's www.cicero institute. Cicero being like the philosophers. So C I C E R O Institute.org. There's just an about, there's a team page. You'll see my name with my funny little headshot smiling at everybody. <laughs> and then uh, I'd say I, I I like LinkedIn. So follow me at LinkedIn. You can just type it with clearly Google Tanner Alif LinkedIn. You'll pop up my see my profile. I put up a lot of work there, a lot of videos, a lot of great stuff. And then, of course, the classic policy death hold Twitter is at TALIF5. That's my handle, at T-A-L-I-F-F-5. Tanner, I love this conversation. Enjoyed it. Glad to finally get you in, even though it took us a lot of scheduling juggling, both my fault and yours, not not just, you know, we'll share this one. It is shared. It is shared. Shared. You Austin people just work on a whole different calendar than the rest of America. Let's just be honest about it. Uh, Dan or Aleph, loved having you, buddy. We'll do it again soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, sir. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.